As Matthew Henry, the commentator, sometimes you hear me quoting him, he said this, God has many arrows in his quiver. I think we have already noted already that that is so, because he caused the water to be turned into blood, and he caused the frogs to cover the land. Those were preceded by Pharaoh seeing at first hand the rod of Aaron being changed into serpents. And the judging process, therefore, was progressing, and it was intensifying. The Lord was executing judgment against the gods of Egypt. And in light of this, and because God has seemed to be preeminent, the false deities which the people were trusting in, they were proved and exposed to be false. It was already clear that the Lord, He is God and that there is none else beside him. Not only was the Nile worshipped, but also some animals. And so other plagues God was to use in order to strike against that idolatry. What is clear, men and women, and we have uh, only considered, I know, a couple of these plagues, is that God would win the conflict. The triumph of God was never in any doubt because of who he is, He does what he does, and he does what he does for his own glory. And that is just a preview of the one who reigns supreme now, and the one who shall reign forevermore. And he must reign in heaven till he hath put all enemies under his feet. There's an interesting little story told about Queen Victoria at her coronation. He was told by her advisors. She was instructed, in fact, to remain seated during the uh, hearing of Mandel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah, I should say. And so while the hallelujah chorus sounded out, her lords and her nobles stood to their feet. But when she heard the crowning chorus, King of kings and Lord of lords, Victoria was to arise. She took off her, her crown. And she was acknowledging Christ as Lord of all. And men and women, Pharaoh and those nobles around him were starting to learn the same lesson. There's an interesting little detail that is given to us. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. And Paul here is speaking of those things that will be prevalent in the last days. It says in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous means times hard to bear. Hard to bear. And they're, they're, what follows is a list of the things that you will, and you're already seeing, taking place in the last days. But you come down with me to the words of verse 7. Here's one of the characteristics, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Want an illustration? Now as Janis and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. And there are two names that are new to us. We're introduced to them. We don't know. We've never come across them before. But what we can say is those are two names of the magicians. The magicians that were around Pharaoh they knew the truth, but they couldn't uh, come to an understanding of it. And uh, they're given, we're given that insight into what was taking place here in the courts of Pharaoh. 
those who sought to imitate the plagues. And to some extent, as we've already looked at to some degree, they had success. But even now, that was to change. And that leads me to show you the lice and the lies. I want you to see the lice first of all. There's some subtle differences that we see with this plague. The greatest of which surely is that it descended without any warning. Pharaoh had been pre-warned about the previous two, but not this one. Look at verse 16. The Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, smite the dust of the land, that it may come, become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Because Pharaoh had broken his word to let Israel go with the frogs were taken away, there now is no warning. And the lice are, 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 come, are sent immediately without any warning. And you know, men and women, God still uses that principle where wicked men are concerned because it's summed up in Proverbs 29 and 1. It simply says, He that been often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. That without warning, you could say. That without mercy. It's only a fool who ignores the warnings of God. It's a fool who thinks that because God has not stepped in after some sin that there may be no such thing as judgment at all. There may be those who will absent themselves from reading the Bible or being under the preaching of the Word. That doesn't prevent the coming of God's judgment or change the fact that one day all shall stand before the throne of God as we know from Romans chapter 14. I want you to notice here with these lies the irritation. This third plague was by the means of a little creature, so small that it would be barely visible to the eye, and yet its sting caused great irritation to the skin of both man and beast, as we see from the words of verse 17. Just think of the source of it. The rod in the hand of Aaron was stretched out to smite the dust of the ground. That dust of the ground, and mind you, Egypt was a dusty land. The dust suddenly sprang into life with this most annoying and disgusting form of lice. The lice came upon man and beast. Their bodies were covered with them. But I wonder, as you consider that passage, as you consider even this plague, if you can get it in your mind's eye of what it might, might have been like, then does it not bring you to consider and cause you to think of the judgment that God pronounced upon the disobedience of Adam. You turn right back to Genesis chapter 3. And you, sin has entered into the garden because Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord. Verse 17, unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. What Aaron was commanded to do is a graphic illustration showing forth the awful fact that man by nature is under the curse of a holy God and this earth is cursed. As I said to you before the Jehovah's Witnesses don't remind you of, don't tell you that. When they come forth are all their 
platitudes about how lovely creation is. The ground is cursed of God because of sin. That's why there's thistles. That's why there's thorns. That's why women have pain in childbirth. It's all as a result of sin. And here, as Aaron stretches out this rod, it's really illustration of that awful fact. And if I can lead on from that, you'll see here not only the irritation, but the admission. Just tiny little lace. And yet, when the magicians attempted to replicate this miracle, they couldn't. God had permitted them to imitate the rivers and the frogs. But when that permission was withheld, then there is a confusion among them and they're left and rendered helpless. Because it tells us there, verse 18, but they could not. They couldn't. They thought they were going to come out again and and imitate what this next miracle was, this next plague. But they couldn't do it. And you know, dear people, so it is with the devil. As can be noted in the life of Job. He was permitted to go so far. He could take everything from his business. He could take all his family from him in the space of one day. But he couldn't take his life. He could uh, inflict even a punishment of health or ill health upon him. But he couldn't take his life. You see, God had set the boundaries. And Satan couldn't go over that boundary. And looking over the first two plagues, he can disturb by God's permission. He can bring forth uncleanness freely as the magicians did in Egypt as it's illustrated. But he couldn't tamper with the curse of God. The dust of the ground could not be made into lace by the magicians. What an encouragement to know that the devil, men and women, has his bounds. He's not all-powerful. Oh, he's a great adversary, don't get me wrong. And that's why we need the Lord. But he's not all-powerful. And God is able to state to the devil, that's far enough, no further. And we need to see that in our land. We need to see that in, in governing circles in our province. That's far enough, no further. Their failure to bring forth lies give forth a worthy admission, you see. Verse 19 tells us, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, Here's his very nobles, here's his very men at his right hand. This is the finger of God. They're obliged to acknowledge the hand of God in the end. This is their last recorded words, mind you. You'll not read of them again. And so it will be for the devil and his followers one day. Paul reminds us that sooner or later, every knee shall acknowledge the supremacy of God. Every tongue shall confess he is Lord. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is that not a illustrated some way uh, to us if you turn to John 8. Every knee shall confess that he is Lord, or every tongue, every knee shall bow. Better to bow before the Lord in mercy now, dear soul, than to be made to do so in judgment or before the judgment. Why do I take you to John 8? John 8, the opening verses. There is the conflict there. The enemies of Christ are there. 
The Lord is there. And the enemies of Christ, they bring a woman whom they said was caught in adultery. They throw her down before them. They want the law to be uh, uh, put against her. The law was that one caught in adultery was stoned. Stoned to death. What, of course, they didn't do was they didn't bring the man as well. And it is my belief that the man was among the crowd that day. But that's how the law was from the Old Testament. That both that were caught in adultery, they were both to be stoned to death. Well, they bring this woman and they throw her before them. uh, And they want the law uh, to be enacted. You'll see it there. Verse 4, they say unto Master, this woman was taken adultery in the very act. Verse 6, this they said, tempting him. You see, they're they're only trying to ensnare the, the Savior. They have a questionable motive, motive behind it. And so the enemies of Christ are there. They want to know his answer. What's his response? His response, you'll notice, is merely to stoop down and to write with his finger on the ground. Verse 7, So when they continued asking him, you see verse 6, The Lord stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. And when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We have no idea what he wrote on the ground, because we're not given it. And they which heard it, being, verse 9, convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. That's why I believe a man was among them. And they were convicted in their own conscience of this very sin. And they're left one by one, one by one. To the extent that Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Men and women, the effect was they couldn't stand before the Lord of glory who wrote with his finger in the dust of the ground. There's an admission there. I want you to see with these lice the rejection. Verse 19. And the magicians said unto Pharaoh, is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. He rejected the message of the plague. And he rejects the acknowledgement of his magicians about the plague. And you know, so it is with many a man who set in a course to sin. All warnings, all testimonies are discarded and they avail nothing. Pharaoh had no reason to reject the message of the plague. Oh, we might say, previously he used the magicians as an excuse for rejecting what was done by the hand of Moses and Aaron, but now that excuse has been taken away from him. Because the very magicians, they said to him, this is the finger of God. Yet his heart is hardened, even against what his own people have told him. And it was merely bringing to pass what the Lord had previously said to Moses. You see, men and women, God's word does come to pass. Maybe not in the time in your eye, think, but it does come to pass. I trust I'm not preaching to one who for whatever length of time has had the warnings of God. 
And you've heard the warnings of God from God's messengers. Warnings that have come through His Word clearly to your soul. Warnings through providences and circumstances, maybe in your health or maybe in your home, yet today still find you with a hardened heart against God and a hard heart against His truth. Reject the Savior no longer, but admit Got to be an omission on your part. Admit that you are that sinner that needs God's salvation and that needs God's deliverance. There's the lice. I want you to see now the flies. The next plague marks a beginning in a new series of three plagues. That's noted in that no longer, as I said, do we have the magicians. They now are off the narrative. You'll not find them again. And also we begin to see a difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And I believe it is worth noting uh, how this plague is spoken about in the words of verse 21. It says there, Else if thou wilt not let my people go, and I'll come back to that in a moment, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee. You'll see it there at the end of the verse as well. What am I directing you to? I'm directing you to the very fact that flies is in italics. The authorized version translators have put that in to give a sense, but it's not in the original. The plague concerns some sort of insects. And so we can say that of this swarm, there was a mixture. It was made up of not only flies, but also other flying insects as well. And that is confirmed by the manner in which the psalmist makes reference to this. Psalm 78 and verse 45, he says, He sent divers sorts of flies among them, which devoured them. And the word divers, if you can want to just uh, stick a wee in the back of that word, you have it. Diverse. Different sorts of flies among them that devoured them. What is in no doubt is the effect that it had upon the land. They devoured. The sense is they ate up. And so while the lice annoyed, this was worse. For the flies preyed upon the flesh. You think here of the directive as God gives it to Moses. He's commanded to stand before Pharaoh and that early in the morning. That wasn't the easiest thing to do. He understood already the sort of character that he was. He was an evil. He was a brutal man. It was shown in his treatment of the people of God. It's easier to stand before those who are sympathetic to the cause of Christ, who are sympathetic to the message of the gospel. It's easier to speak to someone who who is sympathetic to the, the gospel than it is to those who are an opponent. You think of Peter. Remember Peter in the upper room. He's bold. He's a bold fisherman. He's often heard above the other disciples. And he's so uh, following the Savior. He's so given up over to Christ. He says to the other disciples, I'm even prepared to lay down my life for him. I'll never deny thee, Lord. Just a few hours later, he's in a different company. He's before the opponents of Christ and the gospel. And he denies the Lord with oaths and curses, even by a little teenage girl. It's easier to stand before someone who's sympathetic than someone who is an opponent to what you believe. And Moses was to stand before this man again. And the message 
The message was the same. Verse 20, Thus saith the Lord. I want you to underline that. You have often heard me pray that before I start preaching. I don't stand here, man, with an ideology of myself or any other man. I've got to bring a message, Thus saith the Lord. And Moses didn't come with his own ideas. His message was, Thus saith the Lord. Pharaoh, there's a message from God for you. Thus saith the Lord. Again, it would have been easier for him to bring a message that would tickle the ears of Pharaoh, make him feel good. That's what many are engaged in today. As they stand before a congregation, it's just what they want to hear. Makes them feel good. But the message that has to be delivered is, Thus saith the Lord. He was to declare God's word. And even though that may prove to be unpopular, for people don't want their sin touched upon, you don't turn tell anybody they're a sinner these days or, or to point it out to them. We don't want to hear that. That's an unpopular message. But it's a message from the Lord. And it'll be a blessing to your soul if you receive it as such. And if you read the word of God as such as well, not as a word of man, but as the word of God as it is in truth, as those in, uh, in Thessalonians you'll read about did. The message was, thus saith the Lord. And even though it was unpopular, yet that's what was needed, and that's what's needed today. What was the message? The message was this, if I can summarize it. Let my people go or else... You see, that's what we have in verse 20. It says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me else. Pharaoh is given another opportunity to escape judgment. It's either obey God's word or else. And you just think of that. Was that not the message that some of the churches, at least in, in Asia, were to hear as well as we have them in second and third of, of chapters of Revelation? You think of the church there of Ephesus. And they were told, repent that church that had left their first love. Repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee and quickly and remove thy candlestick. They would no longer be a church. Or the church at Pergamos who tolerated a false doctrine within their ranks. The Lord says, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You cannot defy the word of God and expect hope or success with any hope or guarantee of it. Dear sinner, consider seriously the or else of God. You know, maybe when you're young, the mother tells you, better clean that room or else. Well, you'd be wise to do that, young person. Clean your room. Or else. The consequence, you see. Well, I'm just asking you to do this. I'm asking you to think of the consequences of God, disobeying him. God says, obey my word or else. Or else. And Pharaoh has given that message. Pharaoh, obey me or else. Notice the division. You'll see it in verse 22. 
particularly at the start, and I will, 23 as well, I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell. Verse 23, and I will put a division between my people and thy people tomorrow, that shall this sign be. There's going to be no flies or no insects in the land of Goshen. Goshen was a, a part of the land, uh, north, uh, 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 northern part of Egypt, where the Israelites dwelt. And the message was here, there's now going to be a division. The Israelites were exempt from this plague. They would not be plagued with this swarm. There's a difference put between the Egyptians and the people of God. And the reason given, as I draw you back to read that whole verse 22, I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end that I must know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. You see, men and women, the reason given, not merely that they would be spared from the suffering that would come about as a result of this great swarm, because we can say today, not all God's people are exempt from the sufferings and the distempers and the diseases of this world. Of course we're not. Those things are common among men. But the purpose of this division is given. This separation was to promote the testimony of God. It says at the end of that verse, that I am, that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. You see, and I want to underline this. The division would help Pharaoh to understand that the Lord was in the midst of his people. That the Lord, he was God. It would help Pharaoh to understand an ungodly, a heathen man. But the separation would help him to understand the Lord was in the midst of them. And you know, that brings to us a reality check. If I might apply this. A reality check for those who think that being a separated church is a hindrance. The contemporary cry today is this. That if we're going to win the lost for Christ, if we're going to reach the world, then we need to be like the world. And the biblical principle of separation is throughout. Because it's no more relevant. And how many now think it is an hindrance? But this verse, men and women, shows how carnal, and I use that word deliberately, how carnal that sort of thinking is. In fact, biblical separation as opposed to mixing and aping the world is what shows, is what helps the ungodly world to know the true and living God. And I don't talk merely about you coming to a separated witness in Market Hill. Yes, we, we are a separated church. I'm talking about your walk and your life every other day of the week. 
that it ought to be a separated witness as well that shows to the ungodly there's a difference, there's a division. As Pharaoh would understand by this very plague, it wasn't going to be in the land of Goshen. There was a difference. Men and women, we ought to be the best testimony for God in Market Hill because of our separation. It's not a hindrance. It's a biblical precept. And others should be able to look upon you and say, there's a difference about that girl. There's a difference about that man. And it's not isolation, by the way. It's separation under Christ. What else is noted here is their destruction. Verse 24, the Lord did so and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, into the servants' house, into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. There's utter devastation caused due to these swarms. The land was corrupted. If you look at that word corrupted as we have it used in verse 24, then it comes from a Hebrew word which means to destroy or to lay in ruins. The land was wasted. It was left good for nothing. It certainly doesn't give the impression that it was a mere uh, chastening that would be gotten over very quickly. It left the land utterly devastated. And to think that this was only the fourth plague and there was another six to come. Learn from it, men and women, surely the great destruction, the devastation that flows in the wake of sin. And how many sinners are heading to an eternal destruction in a lake which burneth with fire. And that's what makes the division even in this house this morning. There are those who are saved from eternal damnation. Those who are saved through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And there's yet those who are not. And you're yet in your sin. And you're yet on that road, that broad road that leadeth to a Christless eternity because you're still rejecting Christ. Oh, that the sinner might flee from the wrath of God that is to come. Yes, we've seen the lice and we've seen the flies and now we'll notice the lies. I just want to close with a note about the response of Pharaoh up until this time. It's only what I can describe as lies. You see, there's the deception. What follows is Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron again in an attempt to make a compromise. And it's to say the least not acceptable. And I believe uh, uh, there's so much in that that I believe we're, uh, I'll come back to this and I'll take the compromise of Pharaoh on a whole one day in another message. But having heard one of them that he would let them go and worship if they didn't go too far. In other words, he still wanted to keep an eye on them. Moses states that he would entreat the Lord to remove the swarms of mixed flies. But listen to the rebuke that he gives to him at the end of verse 29. And so I'll read the verse. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people at tomorrow. But listen to this. Let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more and not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. He denounces him for his lies. 
on the previous occasions when he said that he would let them go only to renege on his very word and on his promise. In other words, he had said that he would only for the purpose of getting rid of the frogs, only for the purpose of having the water turn back to water again. And Moses knows the sort of man he was. It was only deception in his part. It was lies. Pharaoh was nothing more than a dishonest, pragmatic, deceiving opportunist. And he's like his father. You might say, did you know his father? I do. You'll find him in John 8 in the words of verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar, the father of it. You remember that young person, the devil's a liar. And he shows you the bright, bright lights and he shows you the great PR of the world and the good times that you can have with all these other things. He's a liar. He doesn't show you the consequences of the drink, of the drugs, the immoral living, and all the rest of it. The day is coming when the old devil and Satan will be bound. and He should be able to deceive the nations no more. See, Revelation 20 and 3 says this. Well, let, me, let me back up. Verse 2. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, that is the angel from heaven, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And there's different views on that. It's called eschatology. It's a big word. It simply means the doctrine of the last times. And there's some men who don't believe in a thousand years. Well, I can't get away from it. I'm not going to go into this because you'll be here to midnight. Verse 3, And cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season. And what I underline to you is what he's about. I believe there's a time coming and the Lord will bind the devil. The devil's not bound today. But he will be bound that he should deceive the nations no more. In other words, that's what he's about today. That's part of his tactics. The devil deceives, but the time is coming when he deceive no more and he'll be eventually cast into the lake of fire. You know, men and women, before I leave this thought about response of Pharaoh, that's something that no child of God should be engaged in. You should not be engaged in deception, child of God, or lies, either deliberately or being perceived to be such by someone else. Remember this, that God hates, God counts it as an abomination, a lying tongue. A false witness that speaketh lies. I'll give you 
maybe a funny illustration, maybe shouldn't say it's a funny illustration, but illustration in my life, in my work, working secular life before I went into college. I used to work in the fruit trade uh, after being a manager of the filling station. Uh, it was a wholesale place. And the phone often rang, of course, looking for orders, etc. And this man rang, and I happened to be in the office, and I lifted the phone, and uh, it's Harry there. Of course, the wife was sitting there. Harry's not here. <laughs> Tell him he's not here. I'm walking out through the door. I wouldn't tell that man that Harry wasn't there because Harry was there. That would have been a lie. That would have been a lie. And men and women, that's what goes on, I know, in offices and works today. A lie is an abomination to the Lord. A false witness that speaketh lies. And Paul takes up the very same thought. He gives a strong exhortation as he writes to the believers in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Verse 25. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. He says, put off the old man. That's what you would have done on your unsaved days, he's saying to them. He says, now, put away, put in away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Don't forget he's writing to the people of God. And so whether, I don't care where, you, where your career is, whether you're in a highfalutin job or, or you've climbed the ladder or whether you're considered as somewhere down somewhere else below us or, or near us, speak the truth. That's a witness in itself. Moses did his part. He done the truth. He spoke the truth. He left Pharaoh he left him with that rebuke ringing in his ears and he entreated the Lord that the swarms of flies might be removed. And what follows is his defiance in verse 32. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. God answered the entreating of Moses. He removed the flies. And I like the extent of which it is spoken about. Uh, maybe you've read it over quickly and you didn't see it. Look at verse 31. The Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. There remained not one. Not one flea was left. And the whole country covered of them. And the houses full of them. Not one flea remained. And you know, men and women, that's just what God's answer is also in salvation. When the sinner repents, when the sinner seeks the Lord in mercy and for mercy, their sins which are many are removed as far as is the east is from the west. And they are removed completely so that there remaineth not one. Not one. Doesn't matter how deep tied sins they are, not one is left. Because men and women, if one sin was left, then we would never get to heaven. For nothing, nothing that defileth shall ever enter in there. Every sin is removed. That's why we sang earlier on that, that, uh, that hymn. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. 
The devil will tell you a lie. You're too great a sinner. The Lord can't save you. That's a lie. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Now, dear loved one, don't live any longer then in defiance of that great blessing. Because that's what Pharaoh did. Every fly was removed. There was complete deliverance, but he refused to let Israel go. The goodness of God should have led him to repentance. And so it should do with you. You have known the goodness of God. But what have you done with Christ? May you accept him by faith even now. And no longer go on believing in the lies of the devil that one day will bring you into judgment and into eternal destruction. May God help you to come even this morning and believe the truth. Take Christ as Lord. The lies and the lies. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for his own name's sake.